Ho, ho. What did you just call me? <laughs> that joke never gets old, unlike me. <laughs> well, Father Christmas, it is the season of reindeer, hot chocolate, and fruitcake. Wait, what did you call me again? <laughs> oh, you heard me. You'll pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. My goodness, my Christmas wish comes true. You made a pun on the podcast for a change. Talk about unexpected. yippee Kaye, Mother Hubbard. Uh, hey, now. <laughs> hey, now. John McLean. This is a family show. Is it? <laughs> but I salute your Die Hard reference since that is a Christmas movie. Well, in case it's not overwhelmingly obvious, we're talking the holidays today. And in this season that's looking at unexpected performances, we're calling out a few unexpected seasonal treats. Leave out a plate of milk and Christmas cookies. It's going to be a bumpy sleigh ride through some nostalgia. Shall we get this podcast moving, Prancer? Hey, Stop with the slurs. <laughs> <laughs> For the love of Brenda Lee, let's begin. Welcome to the Pop Trash Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it. But with love, of course. And love, well, just like how all of the other reindeer eventually loved Rudolph, we're showing some love to a few deep pop culture cuts that strayed off the Christmas path. Can you believe that as we're recording this, Brenda Lee has the number one song in the country? Brenda Lee? Talk about straying off the Christmas path. Wasn't she head to head with Mariah Carey? They were like duking it out for the number one spot. I know, it's a steel cage match, refereed by Darlene Love. <laughs> <laughs> if I just keep refreshing Ticketmaster, I'll find a seat. <laughs> That'll be Rethelmania. <laughs> oh. Hulk Ho Ho Hogan. Oh. You get it? No, please explain. <laughs> <laughs> and at age 79, I love it. It means we've still got 30 years to get this podcast on top of the Billboard Hot 100. There's still hope. You're telling me there's still hope. <laughs> You're like, oh, three more decades? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't have the stamina. I won't be here in three more decades. <laughs> we have to make every Christmas count. <laughs> Speaking of Christmas songs, a lot of people think that my favorite things from The Sound of Music is a Christmas song. I don't think so. What are your thoughts on that? Well, why has it been claimed by Christmas? Just because they're listing a lot of things that could be a Target gift registry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the Julie Andrews gift guide. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the reason is that song conjures visions of snow and winter weather and, well, clearly the whiskers on kittens. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and and that just happens to fall in the Christmas season. And so I feel like the melody, the images of snow and winter. So you think it counts? Consider it a Christmas song. Well, if we were to pick a couple of things that are like moonlight on, what is it? Moonlight on wings of the geese or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the line, but what would you pick? What are some of your favorite things? Let me say my first one is I went to an amazing Christmas concert about 10 days ago. You ready for it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Debbie Gibson's Winterlicious. Oh, it's licious. How much licious was it? It's well, it's not quite bubblicious, but <laughs> I loved it. It was the campiest, but like she even called it on stage. She's like, we're a little bit vaudeville up here. And it was just the most fun. I'm gonna say stupid in quotes, like in a good way. Like just the the, mm. the amount of charm 
the videos that play that are all nostalgic. She walks around the audience and talks to the crowd. She wears a bunch of outfits, some of which are like these hot Christmas numbers, some of which are like, you know, Christmas pajama onesies. Uh, and I just thought it was so good. And she mixes her Christmas songs up because she's done a Christmas album that's that's actually quite good. Uh, and with her old hits. Here's something I didn't know that I found out during the concert. Debbie Gibson has this record and she still has it to this day. She's the youngest female performer to ever write, produce, and perform a Hot 100 number one song. And that record still holds, even though Brenda Lee was 13 when she recorded that. She was 79 when it went number one. <laughs> <laughs> so Debbie Gibson still holds it for Foolish Beat. Isn't that crazy? Foolish Beat. I wouldn't have predicted that one. That's that's cool, though. Huh. I know. I love it. She was also Songwriter of the Year in 1989. Props to her. That sounds like fun. So yeah, I don't know. Debbie Gibson, maybe that's a little bit of an out-of-the-blue favorite thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What's one of your favorite things? Um, I would say those target birds that everybody is obsessed with. You know those? They're the the featherly friends. That's what they're called. I only know them because you send me about 17 TikTok videos of them a day. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically the grandmom that collects Christmas villages. You know, those little, <laughs> yes. those little things that you set out on your table, but they make me happy. And who are they hurting? No one. That's who. <laughs> you are uh, preserving the culture of Hummel collection for the 21st century. Pretty much. It's just target birds now. I mean, come to find out, they are so popular that they're doing them for all the holidays. I, I, you know, TikTok showed me that there were Halloween ones and Valentine's Day ones. So it's going to become, I predict... Oh, I should save this for the prediction shows. <laughs> but it's, it's going to become like Beanie Babies of the 90s. Wait, so you think we'll get like St. Patrick's Day birds? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there already were. <laughs> Sham rocking around the Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, you know, I love them. Love them or hate them. I love them. All right. What else you got in your bag of favorite things? Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you another favorite thing. A, a beverage I tried for the first time this year that really tastes like Christmas breakfast in a mug. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Ego nog sipping cream. Oh, I don't, <laughs> I know. I don't know sounds, how I feel about that. <laughs> it sounds a little like, wait, do I want liquid breakfast in my Christmas menu? But it really works. If you put it over ice, it's like eggnog that has a taste of like sweet pancakes mixed with like the essence of sausage. You've really lost your way now. <laughs> I'm wishing on a star this would stop. I'm telling you, it is like brunch in a jar. Uh, I think that's actually the subtitle of it actually is brunch in a jar. <laughs> and it works as a holiday treat and like another spin on your classic Christmas eggnog. I love eggnog. I mean, it is one of my favorite things. I put that on the list. I've been putting it in my coffee and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's bad for you to do that every day, <laughs> which is, you know, instead of a spoon, I stir it with a strip of bacon so that it's a little healthier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I wash it down with a half stick of butter. So, yeah, it's kind of like yours. You get the little meat taste in it. You get the eggnog. <laughs> I think whatever I'm doing in the holidays, cooking with lard would be healthier than the, the choices I'm making. <laughs> that leads me to my next favorite thing, peppermint Tums, because I'm an old old man <laughs> <laughs> 
And and I want to know why are they limited edition flavor? They are delightful. And when you have heartburn, peppermint is fantastic, but they take it away and you have like berries or chalk. I think those are your regular year no, choices. No, the, the, they don't take it away. Literally, the uh, other 11 months of the year, Tums are flavored with mint. No, 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 no not peppermint. <laughs> oh, get out. <laughs> I swear to God, I will go get the bottle and show you. It says limited edition peppermint. Well, it's a, that's a marketing trick, but the, the literally you can buy Tums in February that will taste like mint. Wait, marketing trick? You think I would fall for a marketing <laughs> trick like buying a lot of birds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just have one last favorite thing that's kind of become this annual Christmas game, which that, that like all of culture gets to take part in. I'm curious if you've heard this game, Whamageddon. No. Okay. Trust me, it's a thing. Does it have to do with George it Michael sure does. and Andrew Ridgely? It Ooh, sure does. I'm interested. So the goal of Whamageddon, which is literally becoming a big popular thing, is between Thanksgiving and Christmas to see how long you can go without hearing last Christmas by wham. Oh, oh wow. And if and if you if you're, you're if, if you hear it you're out. So you've been Whamageddon. I don't think I've heard it this year. There you go. So you haven't been Whamageddon yet. I've gotten emails about it cuz I'm on George Michael's email list. <laughs> <laughs> Who's writing those emails now? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That's a great game. I love it. I think it's really really fun. It's just like a nice little like, oh, how long can you avoid this song for and then you eventually get hit with it. So we went looking for some new favorite things this holiday season. We found a lot of old favorites, but new ones, I don't know if we would call the next one a favorite thing, but it sure was Christmassy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also not sure we'd call something from 1991 new. Well, new to me. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) When you proposed it, I was like, huh. Okay, that's new. <laughs> that's unexpected. <laughs> that, that just definitely follows the theme. Well, it definitely has an unexpected performance in it. So are you ready to talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker? I sure am, but I'm <laughs> I'm a little concerned that I don't have the backstory and the history of Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 through 4. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched it and I think I, I was caught up. It was fine. I, I think it's the case where you can you can easily slip into Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 without having any sense of what else has happened in the franchise. Like a well-worn pajama. Slip right into it. (laughs) Let's just give folks a sense. Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. You can pretty much picture where this is going. It's a horror movie. It is also about Christmas. You basically have a toy maker who is making evil toys that go and terrorize an entire neighborhood of people. What makes this unexpected, though, is that the, the the toy maker, who is kind of like a Santa Claus figure, but in this movie has the incredible name of Joe Petto, <laughs> a little Pinocchio play there, played by one of Hollywood's biggest golden age names, Mickey Rooney. 
I'm shocked. I did not expect that. <laughs> Do we know how old was he when he made this? This had to have been one of his last roles. I well, believe. that's the thing. Mickey Rooney died in 2014. So that's really? like a lot more recent than I thought. Wow. No, I think it's true, though, that like you and I growing up in what the like 80s, 90s, Mickey Rooney always felt like 250 years old to me. Yeah, he's kind of like George Burns. You, you never thought he was going to go. He was just permanently 80. Yes. And when he made this movie, he was he would have only been about like, yeah, 71, 72, something like that, which is kind of wild. That's going to be me just like sticking around for spite. You know, <laughs> everybody around will be like him. He? He's still here. <laughs> I think they stole his character from the Superman villain, the toy man. It's the same thing. He makes murderous toys, I believe. Well, I, you know, the concept of what like evil Santa like figure is is probably not that new. Although I do think it kind of originated with Silent Night One. And this is what this is sort of like another unexpected thing with with this movie. So it's it's the fifth installment in the Silent Night Deadly Night franchise. And the first one was really controversial. It came out in 1984. And a lot of theaters actually pulled it after like the first week or two, because so many people were horrified at the idea of a horror Christmas movie where you give the impression that someone or some entity like a Santa Claus would actually kill people. And what's really wild is that Mickey Rooney in 1984, when the first Silent Night, Deadly Night came out, was part of a coalition of folks who wrote a letter condemning the movie, calling the <laughs> filmmakers scum who needed to be run out of Hollywood. And hilarious that seven years later, he's the star of the fifth franchise of this, which is just such an unexpected turn of events. I mean, everybody's got to pay a bill. <laughs> a horror Christmas movie, it doesn't seem so out of left field now, right? There's Krampus. That I can think of a bunch of ones where they mix genres like that. But it's very interesting if Silent Night, Deadly Night was the first. I watched the trailer after watching this fifth installment, and I kind of wanted to go back and see the original. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, so that makes, brings me to the question. Did you like Silent Night, Deadly Night 5? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but did you hate it? Uh, um, uh, hate is such a strong word. I feel like I can always find something fun or something redeeming to enjoy about it. And there were things here. Yes. And that's the thing. This was like a direct-to-video movie. I do think, though, it maintains its end of the bargain of being a 90s horror camp classic and that's the thing where it's like 90s horror is a lot of camp and this really fits that and there are some scenes I, I some of them are murder scenes some of them are just like you know horror scenes that are so funny like the kid who somehow puts on roller skates that have rockets attached to them <laughs> there's a toy named larry the larva that basically kills someone in a car like there are some scenes where the 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 camp factor is elevated you know it's kind of a product of that feeling of like direct-to-video horror so mickey rooney plays joe petto uh, his son is named Jopino, <laughs> which I think is is also a, a Pinocchio play. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yes. I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that in the watch. Yes. I did not expect where it was going to go. A Mickey Rooney hitting his son over the head with a Jack Daniels bottle and <laughs> pushing him down the stairs. Yeah, there were some there were some pretty weird things. The total turn of events at the end of the movie, which I mean, it's an old movie, so I guess we can spoil it, but it was bananas. I guess the easiest way, I don't know, I kind of framed it as like uh, Santa Claus meets 
a really low budget Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> this movie came out. It was obviously it was direct to to video, uh, which back then would have been direct to VHS. Ooh. Um, but do you know it came out like early November 1991? Do you know what the number one movie at the box office was in early November 1991? I'm gonna. Say Home Alone. No, the Home Alone was a year before, 1990. Mm. It was, and I've never actually seen this movie, Curly Sue. Oh, Curly Sue, huh? <laughs> you have no idea what Curly Sue is, do you? I do. <laughs> I, I can picture the poster. It's got that cute, cherubic little girl with curly <laughs> hair. Probably a heartwarming, my girl type of movie, I'm sure. It just, it doesn't appeal to me. I don't, I don't think I will ever put that on. Well, there goes my idea for season five of the Pop Trash podcast. Finding Curly Sue. Finding Curly (laughs) Sue. (laughs) I would actually like a podcast on Finding Curly from the Three Stooges. (laughs) Finding Curly Stooge. All right, well, we're going to jump from movies to television for another Christmassy, campy classic. And it's really timely this year because we said goodbye to one of the most genius pop culture camp figures, probably of all time, in Paul Rubens, otherwise known as Pee Wee Herman. And we're talking about the Pee Wee's Christmas special. Eric, did you love this special? Had you seen it before? Oh, I think this is... Something for the yearly Christmas rotation. I love it so much. Absolutely. It's such a fun thing to me because Pee Wee's Playhouse was a staple of my childhood. And Pee Wee Herman with his movies, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Big Top Pee Wee, two of the first movies I ever went to see in the theater. And to this day, when someone says like Large Marge or why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. It's like those kinds of things just are still stuck in my brain. Whereas I can't remember anything from like high school German or math. <laughs> <laughs> For folks who don't know the premise of Pee Wee's Playhouse, he's Pee Wee Herman is essentially this like gray suit wearing kooky, funny, like comedian who just has a bunch of make-believe friends. I don't know, but like he just has this playhouse and silly, fun things happen in it that are so campy and so interesting that appeal to both like the six-year-olds and like 60-year-olds. Yeah. And it is such like a, to me, it's almost like, he's almost like a variety show special in in some ways. Absolutely. And this Christmas special is just the perfect embodiment of what made Pee Wee Herman, what made Pee Wee's Playhouse such a beloved institution. And something that I think a lot of Gen Xers, maybe like older millennials, really look back on with a lot of fondness today. Yeah, I was a little bit older and did not watch peewee in its first run i don't have the nostalgia for peewee's playhouse like you do but looking back and watching things like peewee's christmas special wow what i missed out on and i think as you were mentioning and describing what the playhouse is and that show i think what made it different what made it become such a juggernaut was his character was not like the Mr. Rogers or Captain Kangaroo that was talking to children. He was the child. His character was like the eight-year-old and would respond and find fun and kooky things like 
a child would. What was another brilliant layer on top of that was inviting guests on that parents would know or older generations actors. You could really see how smart he was and how he referenced pop culture that maybe kids didn't get. Um, And that became, I think, a bigger thing that people copied in later pop culture years. Oh, totally. So the the plot of Pee-wee's Christmas special is essentially Pee-wee has sent an incredibly long (laughs) Christmas wish list to Santa, and he's just waiting for Santa to arrive. And all of the regulars from the Playhouse, plus a ton of celebrities from the late 1980s, show up and do a bit. So for example, there is a running bit all throughout where all of these regular characters keep bringing Pee Wee Herman a gift and it's a fruitcake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way that that keeps adding is just so silly. Pee Wee, I brought you a present. It isn't a fruitcake, is it? No. It's two fruitcakes. Oh, well, uh. Or then, like, you know, every episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse, there was a secret word. And this special, they do a secret word called year. Ah! And it's introduced by Cher. Literally, Cher filmed this in 25 minutes and she's out. Like, and it, but it just works really perfectly. And she's just one of like so many. I mean, who were some of your favorite guest stars that like rolled into this? That is so much of the joy that I got out of this that it just, it's a, you know, 48 minute hour special. And, the list of guest stars and celebrities just they just pop in some for a couple minutes like Zsa Zsa Gabor <laughs> showed up next to a, a puppet cow for literally like half a minute and I just love that that it was like a constant onslaught of folks like that Charo shows up and sings Feliz Navidad uh, Katie Lang shows up and sings a song Grace Jones shows up and sings a song but my favorite hands down my favorite was he goes on the phone and takes a video call with Dinah Shore, which again, <laughs> kids watching this would have zero idea who Dinah Shore was, but to their parents, huge star, had a talk show for years and years. And she sings the 12 days of Christmas. Pee Wee leaves the phone booth and like puts a, a, a dummy version of himself in front of the screen as she's singing because it's taking so long. <laughs> he's rolling his eyes. It's a hilarious comedy bit. It just was just so charming. So good. And I just love that Dinah was in on the joke. It's incredible. I had a feeling that was going to be your favorite or Charo because while he's while Charo's singing Feliz Navidad, <laughs> Pee Wee's trying to hit a pinata and keeps walking around her swatting and she's just yes. singing. Singing it totally unaware. (laughs) My runner-up favorite, though, has to be Little Richard. I knew you were gonna like Little Richard as well. (laughs) Another one that I loved. uh, So Dinosaur obviously does the video call, and then all of a sudden Oprah calls at the same time, and he goes, "Hold on, Dinosaur, I'm getting another call." And it's Oprah Winfrey, and Pee Wee goes, "Sorry, Oprah, I'm on the other line with (laughs) Dinosaur." And that's basically all Oprah does there, but it works so well. Whoopi Goldberg, Joan Rivers. Paul Rubens clearly has a love for camp and where his frame of reference comes from is the inherent like humor and fun in these celebrities and these types of silly situations. It really demonstrates how he could get this many celebrities to just show up for these tiny, tiny cameos. You know, that's another thing that really struck me watching it, that all of these celebrities 
we're not afraid to be goofy and silly. And like in an era where everybody's Instagram and TikTok videos are so curated and we have people managing their image, there are very few opportunities that celebrities now get goofy and just kind of let loose and would like sign up for this type of a script. I mean, they do, but it's always like winking, like, I know I'm doing this over the top, you know? I don't think you would ever see anything like this today, ever. I can't I can't think of anything that's analogous to it. Well, especially at the the volume. I it it speaks to me of two things. One is so Paul Ribbons did die this past year, and in sort of memorializing him, there were an just a unbelievable amount of stories of people who were like, he was the nicest guy in the entire world, who I think also was done really dirty by like tabloid. For sure. Right. Like, yeah. but there were stories of like staffers at TV shows that, that like Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens went out of their, his way to like, just show attention to invite over to his house to have sandwiches and just connect. I just think that like, he was a really gentle, wonderful person watching it now after he's passed away, knowing that we're not going to get anything like that in the future, I had a, it was sort of bittersweet in a, in a good way, right? Like it made me think yeah. this is something that television entertainment history like needs to hang on to and preserve. Pee Wee's Playhouse was the Saturday morning staple, right? It was children's entertainment. Christmas specials usually aired in the evenings and the whole family gathered around the TV from one of the three networks. I think there's such a fragmented genre based like this is a kid's show. This is an adult show that I don't think we'll see this kind of crossover ever again. Oh, probably not. No. I also love that Paul Rubens estate just put a high resolution version of this on YouTube for folks to watch. And that makes me very happy. So yeah, yeah. I bought it on iTunes. So I have it every year. I mean, so this did this didn't air on Saturday mornings, because this was sort of like a special it aired on, I think, December 21st, 1988. It was like a Wednesday before Christmas or Tuesday before Christmas. Um, and it, it so it aired prime time and it didn't do terribly, but it did. It didn't win its time slot. Just so you know. What a travesty. Great gossip! Mighty! Little Richard! Oh, are you all right? Oh, you know me, Pee-wee. Always fall down. But I get right back up and try again. If at first you don't succeed, you know what they say. You're trying, you're trying, you're trying. Ah! Except I skating. I give up, I quit. Oh, oh, oh. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> We wanted to just talk about a few other things that might make your holiday watch list this year. If you've got some time to watch something that's holiday themed. And I'm curious, Eric, what's one of the things that could be pretty interesting for people to put on their holiday watch list? A solid gold Christmas. <laughs> the solid gold show from the 80s. They did several Christmas specials. I think my favorite recommendation is 85. I would go for that one. It does have one of my favorite performers who the same clip is shown from year to year, Laura Branigan performing Santa Claus is coming to town. And I really do think this Christmas song was tailor made for her. <laughs> she makes it like a real rock version. It's very like 80s, early Laura Branigan. And the backup singers would go, Gloria. Mrs. Griggs was like, do you hear they're singing Gloria? So they're promoting her record and singing the Christmas song. It's brilliant. 
So Mike, what's one thing that's on your holiday watch list? Well, mine is less something that I would make a holiday tradition and more something that's playing out right now in real time. A couple weeks ago, the New York Times had this front page story about how millennials and Gen Zers are discovering the TV show LA Law for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yes. And all like 172 episodes, which is wild that it lasted that long, um, have been put on Hulu. And so like all these people are trying to, are like getting into LA Law for the first time, which I find so unexpected because that show is really from the saxophone theme song to the way they dress to the way Los Angeles looks. Like that show is stuck in time. That is definitely something that is like from like what, 86, 87 to the early 90s. Um, but I went back and watched the first season's Christmas episode. A couple things about it, which I think are interesting. It has an incredible episode title. It is called Sydney, the Dead Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> and that got me down a rabbit hole. And I have to say, I think LA Law might win the award for the TV show that had the best episode titles. There are some bangers that go throughout the history of the show, um, some related to Christmas, some not. I want to read a couple of them, and you can tell me which one you think is the best. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. We've got The House of the Rising Flan. We've got Slum Enchanted Evening. Oh, my God. We've got Raiders of the Lost Bark. (laughs) We've got (laughs) I'm in the Nude for Love. (laughs) We've got, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to get through this. We've got 50 Ways to Floss Your Lover. (laughs) This is the best one. And this one is from a Christmas from 1989. So it's season four Christmas episode. (laughs) Placenta Claus is coming to town. Oh my God. (laughs) No. And I'm obsessed with it. And so it just has me in this mood of like, okay, maybe if I have some time this Christmas, I'm going to pop on some old episodes of LA Law that are now on Hulu. (laughs) So that's my unexpected thing to maybe slide into your holiday viewing schedule. That brings us to the end of this unexpected holiday episode. Thanks for listening. If you want more of whatever this is, you can find us over on poptrashmuseum.com. And we're also on that garbage heap we all call social media. And hey, do us a favor, follow and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, when we do our annual pop culture predictions episode, stay Christmassy, all you little fruitcakes out there. No, no, no more fruitcake! <laughs> <laughs>